This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. This is Baseball Outside the Box with Peter Caliendo. Innovative thoughts from baseball's best coaching minds from around the world. Brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Now your host, former USA Baseball National Team coach, Peter Caliendo. Good evening, everyone in the U.S. Good morning to all in South Korea and hello to the rest of the world. Um, thanks for joining us on today, a special edition hosted by Baseball Outside the Box and ISG Baseball. A reminder to everyone, we are live on Facebook, and this is the show which loves to interview baseball's greatest coaching minds who love the challenge, the status quo. In case you missed today's show, it will be on YouTube at Peter Caliendo and the audio on Baseball Outside the Box. And finally, all we ask is that if you love the show, Please forward it to all your coaching friends around the world at all levels of the game and check us out on Twitter at Baseball Out. Today, we take you to the beautiful country of South Korea and one of the top baseball nations in the world, which amazingly started their professional league with six teams in 1982 and went on to win the gold in the Beijing Olympics, which I personally saw myself an incredible day against the Cubans and came in second in the World Baseball Classic. Now, to talk baseball with us, baseball development in South Korea, Josh Herzenberg, pitching coordinator and quality control coach for the Lotai Giants. And he will explain what that quality control, control coach does. Josh got his master's degree in Georgetown. And before going to South Korea, he covered the North Texas, Oklahoma, and Arkansas area as a scout for the Los Angeles Dodgers. And he also coached in their system in the Ogden Raptors and the Rancho Cucamongo Quakes. So let's not waste any time. Let's welcome Josh Herzenberg to the show. Josh, welcome, man. Appreciate being on the show. Yeah, thank there, you very Josh? much for, uh, for the invite coming on. Yep. Oh, no, it's a pleasure. And again, our co-host Tom O'Connell's with us from the ISG Baseball. Hey, let's, uh, let's get rolling right away because we talked about the Pro League. Um, let's talk about the Pro League. You know, you guys were, I believe, the second country in the world after Taiwan to uh, begin the, pro, the actual games. Um, and you had to start practice. When did you start the practices and what was that like? Yeah, we started in, in spring training uh, in early February. And when we ramped up, everything was pretty normal at that point. Uh, the Lotte Giants, my organization, uh, were in Adelaide, South Australia uh, at that time. And so spring training was relatively regular up until probably end of February when everything started getting pretty bad in South Korea. And they pushed the season back, uh, the regular season, uh, back at that point to kind of a TBD start date. Uh, and, and we just continued practicing every day. And we were really fortunate that the, the government here kind of got a hold of things pretty quickly. And we were able to just practice every day. We really never had a situation where we had to hold back. Uh, we had our organization had one day where a player was tested uh, for the virus. He came in with a low-grade fever and, uh, and a cough. And so we shut down everything for the day, kind of quarantined in our apartments just for, just for eight hours. And then once he got his test results back, it came back negative. We just ramped right back up at the facility. Other than that, we never had a day uh, where we had to stop. We found out probably two and a half weeks before opening day that opening day was going to be on May 5th. Uh, and we just continued ramping our guys up accordingly and started up on May 5th. We've played 13 games so far in the regular season. You know, and for our guests on Twitter and live on Facebook also, there's a game tonight actually in South Korea, 6.30 p.m. Um, there's a game that'll be on ESPN, I believe, correct? Yeah, ESPN's hosting one game a day. 
um, a one KBO game a day. So uh, during the week, every KBO team plays at 6.30 p.m. Korean time, which is 5.30 a.m. Uh, Eastern time in the States. Uh, and then on the weekends, it'll be five o'clock on Saturdays and on Sundays, it'll be at two o'clock. So e ESPN will cover one game a day in the league and it'll kind of fluctuate and vary or uh, uh, filter through teams. Now, Major League Baseball has been following the league, obviously, seeing how you guys do things. You know, a big, big concern, obviously, is, you know, what have the players been doing because they've been indoors prior to your spring training? Then during spring training, what was the concern of the South Korean coaches um, as far as especially their pitchers? I'm sure you were concerned yeah. about pitching-wise. What kind of training did they do to prepare for that? Yeah, so that was a tough one for us, uh, just the uncertainty of when we were going to start. We were fortunate to be able to actually be physically with the players every day. So on the minor league end of things, um, where I predominantly work with our pitchers, we kind of pull back on the volume of mound work and we sort of put them in very isolated, specific individual programs. Some of them did velocity training. Some of them did increased like isokinetic training where they can um, focus on certain body parts and certain body movements to try to improve their deliveries. Uh, and then we always sort of just kept them not necessarily in the back burner in terms of the volume of their, of their mound time, but definitely uh, in a situation where we'd still be able to ramp them up in two or three weeks to, to game to game ready. So um, it, it was a tough balance between keeping them competitive, but also scaling it back to not blow out their arms uh, too early in the season. And um, so far we've had, you know, a, a few tweaks in, here and there and a few kinks to work out uh, with bodies. We had um, like an abdominal issue and like a hand pulled hammy, but um, nothing significant so far, knock on wood in terms of injuries. So we'll see how it goes uh, as the season goes, but that was definitely something we had to balance as a, as a staff. Uh, you know, figuring out exactly how to how to keep our guys ready to compete while also not blowing their load, if you will, early, because uh, obviously we weren't sure when the season was going to start. What's it look like now during games? Like, is there uh, pitchers going so many innings, so many out in pitch counts? Um, because I'm sure that's also another concern is how, how far is the pitcher going to go in a ball game? What's that look like? Yeah, in our in the major leagues, first team here is what's considered the the major league level. Um, there's it's pretty standard, you know. Guys are going just as as much as they would go in a, in a typical game. Uh, and in the minor leagues, we're varying it depending on the pitcher. Obviously, some guys have certain levels of workload that they can take on. Some of the younger guys were trying to you know have less innings on the arm uh, over the course of the year. So that kind of depends on the pitcher. Uh, but as of right now, we're we're kind of doing it as normal. You know, regular season, we're here to compete. The guys are built up. You know, we have some guys that are getting up to triple digit uh, pitch counts in games in the major leagues in the first team. So it, it's pretty normal at this point. We were ramped it up accordingly. And, and fortunately, the league did a pretty good job communicating with us exactly when the start date was going to be. We always kind of targeted early May as the expected start date. And it was just a matter of actually getting that official word. And we built them accordingly um, so that instead of early April being the, the opening day, which is typical, it was early May. And we kind of just scaled everything accordingly back a month. You know, Josh, luckily, you know, I've been fortunate because I've been in baseball like time internationally for a long time. And I've seen a lot of the Korean teams. I was in the Olympics, uh, the Beijing Olympics, when I saw Rio pitch against the uh, Cubans in the final game. And, you know, mm -hmm. I've always mm -hmm. been impressed because, you know, the, the Asians in general, the players especially, and even the coaches have a real tough mentality. I mean, they're real strong mentally. That's what makes them really good in games. You don't see emotions that much. You know, they deal with failure much better than, than a lot of other players do around the world. Um, but the Koreans, uh, 
I would think the Koreans, I want you to explain this. They seem to be bigger and stronger also. Now, some of it obviously can be, you know, the, the, you know, they're just born bigger. It's just a bigger society. But in general, what else do they do? To, is there a lot of big strength programs there? Um, Strength-wise, I can I kind of only speak to what we do here with Lotte. Um, we're, we're doing everything pretty similar to how it's done in the States from a strength and conditioning perspective. Our director of sports science uh, spent several years in the States. He has a master's degree from Columbia. He spent a whole bunch of years working for the Cubs. And so he's kind of ramped up our strength program here with Lotte. Um, in terms of baseball specific training here in this, in, in Korea, uh, I think there's definitely a strong emphasis at the, at the amateur level put on um, just skill development. And so you'll see a lot of guys do having a lot of reps, you know, if you're a shortstop taking ground balls or if you're an outfielder going back on fly balls, um, a lot of reps off a tee for hitters, a lot of, uh, kind of high high pitch count low intensity bullpen sessions for pitchers just trying to you know uh increase feel and, and command of pitches so that's something that might be a little bit different at the youth level here in terms of baseball specific training um in terms of strength training I, i'm not too sure if there's too much different between like for example uh korean youth baseball and like japanese youth baseball from a training perspective um but that's just what i've seen in my time here so far What's impressed you about, since you've been there, what's impressed you about the Korean players, their training, the coaches? Um, what are some of the things you've taken away? So the players, just what I spoke to about, like, the early early stage skill development, I think it's increased proprioception. Like, it's increased body awareness a lot. So um, as a pitching coach, um, if I ask a guy to try a new movement or to try a new drill, generally they're able to do it pretty easily. Uh, you know, in, in terms of like a different body adjustment, which is pretty cool, I think. And it's something that wasn't necessarily so unanimously true in my time in the States. Uh, you know, and I think that's a product of, like I said, that focus on skill development at a, at a young age, they have a pretty good sense of how their bodies work. Uh, and the coaches just here are incredibly well organized. I mean, everybody I work with, we have several minor league coaches that I, that I work with every day. We have obviously the entire major league coaching staff that I work with and everybody's really, really well organized. They have a really good understanding of um, their daily tasks and how they fit into the entire big picture process of the organization. And they're able to be really hyper-specific and focused on what they have to do. So I think the combination of the skill specific focus from the players and then the very hyper-specific task responsibilities of the coaches create this dynamic of, of really getting things done really, really efficiently in terms of like each specific task that coaches and players have to do. What's up uh, for an American player playing there? What's the toughest thing? Um, just the cultural adjustment. I mean, it, you know, obviously it's a totally different language. Um, it's a totally different lifestyle process. Uh, the assimilation in terms of, I think the, workplace culture is definitely something that guys probably need to just understand. Uh, there's, it's not better or worse. It's just different than how things operate in the States. You know, we have all our foreign players here have major league service time in the States. And so um, they're coming over with, you know, a certain expectation or a certain understanding of how um, their life as a, as a professional baseball player works. And they have to understand that things are going to change a little bit from that. And that's not good or bad. It's just different. So, a combination of those things, I think the language barrier is definitely something we're all working through off the field and then on the field uh, and in the clubhouse. It's just understanding that this is a different country. This is a different culture. And we need to we need to recognize that, respect it and work hard to you know fit into it as best as we can.
You know, you hear a lot of times, you know, form player goes over to, you know, whether it's Taiwan or Mexico, and we got some guys, Marco Mendoza from Culiacan, Mexico, on the line. You know, a lot of times the pitching's different. You know, they pitch slower or they, more, they throw more off-speed stuff. What's it like for a foreign player that comes into South Korea? Yeah, I would say the pitching approach is definitely a little different. Um, the average velocity here in the KBO is a little bit lower than the States or in the MLB. Um, you're going to see a lot of sinkers, a lot of splitters here. You're going to see guys throwing sidearm a lot more. There's a lot of sidearm relievers. There's actually a few starters that um, are sidearm throwers or even lower than sidearm throwers here um, in this league. So it, it fluctuates a little bit. I think the gameplay, if you were to check out a KBO game, is, is very, very similar to MLB to the extent that it's certainly not like a different game. But there are little little things like that that you'll see that are a little different. You know, here – um, 144 kilometers per hour is 90 miles per hour. So, you know, you see a guy throwing 144 with a splitter. Um, you know, that's pretty, pretty common here. Um, and he's going to throw a lot of breaking balls and a lot of change-ups and, you know, pitch away a lot. So those are things that are definitely, um, like, not a huge change from the States, but obviously something that's a little different here that, that you know, when in the States we're going a lot of high fastballs and a lot of, a lot of curveballs down below the zone at this point, and, you know, that's kind of the trend right now. You know, I noticed, uh, I believe it's the NC Dinos. They're like 11-1. and one. They seem to be the top team right now. Um, when you're looking at, a, when they're looking at their clubs, is every club a little different or do they try to structure, you know, like is it pitching and defense, uh, something that's very important to them or is it something else? Um, what, how do they structure their clubs? It depends on the club. Um, NC, you're speaking to, obviously, off to a really good start. They have their, their catchers, one of the best hitters in the league, and then they have an outfielder that's also a, a very good hitter. So, um, those guys being under team control for several years um, with the, the catcher being post free agency and being signed to a long-term contract and then the outfielder being uh, pre free agency. So uh, signed to them uh, for several years, I think they can kind of build their lineup around those guys. Um, you know, when we were searching in the off season for, for free agents to sign, we targeted, for example, uh, a defense minded shortstop. We knew that we had a deficiency at shortstop. And so we signed Dixon Machado. Uh, who had some big league time with the, the Detroit Tigers and Dixon's been great for us. He's hit four home runs in 13 games for us so far, and he's played lights out defense at shortstop. We traded for a catcher um, that was previously with the Hanwha Eagles, who's now with us. And, you know, cause we understood that catching was a deficiency we had. We needed to ramp up the offensive and defensive production behind the plate. So it really depends on the team in terms of what they're looking for. Um, you know, obviously middle of the order bats and top of the rotation pitchers are always great to have if, if we could all find them everywhere that would be that would be fantastic uh but it, it just depends on the makeup of the team you know it's interesting I, I was thinking you know like in the Dominican you'll see a lot of short stops you know um even in Cuba the Latins develop a lot of short stops uh, in their system and you might know this in their system in the high school and in the younger systems is there a particular player that develops faster you know like like would it say you know you see a lot of short stops coming out of Dominican is there anything particular out of the Korea uh, I've just seen like up the middle positions in a similar capacity, just kind of develop faster. If you're a corner guy, you got a lot of power. You know, we have Dejo Lee on our team as a first baseman. And uh, when he was in high school, he was a, a hard throwing pitcher and a power hitting first baseman. That's actually relatively common here where guys, um, you know, kind of do both and they have to choose. That's not uh, D.H. Lee. D.H. Choose. Lee? Yeah, De yeah, he had some big league time with Seattle a few years yeah. ago. Mm -hmm. He's back with us with Lote now. But – um, up the middle positions are still the priority, you know, shortstop center field catcher, uh, pitcher are definitely the, the priorities that are going to go. It's, it's similar to MLB in that capacity because those guys are going to provide the most value. You know, two questions in this, uh, you talked about arms. 
um, that they're not at the velocities, maybe not as high as the MLB right now. What things are that you see that they're working on to gain velocity? Are there, is there specific training that they're doing to try to increase? As you know, in the States, it's all about increasing velocity. And the second one, they're hitting. You know, are we talking about launch angle? Are we talking about power? Or, or do they still play the Asian game? So pitching-wise, um, that's definitely more my lane here with Lote. We are uh, full swing on implementing a weighted ball training program. Um, we're, we're trying to be as hyper specific as possible with understanding the bio, biomechanics of a, of a body. So, um, I collaborate regularly with like the guys at driveline, for example, um, on trying to ramp up our processes here to try to gain some velocity and try to gain some efficiency in our movements here. Um, in terms of hitting, um, there is definitely more of an emphasis put here in the KBO on, on a contact oriented approach than from what I saw in MLB. Um, Launch angle is is a result of of a of a certain swing type, and a lot of that's just being on time with the ball. Um, and so we are trying to optimize our swings in terms of being able to get on plane and stay on plane as long as possible to drive the ball um, as as effectively as possible. But there is certainly more of a more of an approach uh, towards contact here in the KBO than there is in MLB. You're going to see like lower strikeout rates for uh, for pitchers uh, league wide just because there's there's less uh, there's less uh, emphasis put on not less emphasis put on power but more emphasis put on making contact here than you might see in the states you know we appreciate you guys you guys have some questions victor castillo and you may have kind of touched on this yes do you have a specific strength and conditioning training for pitchers uh according mm -hmm. to korean players uh yeah so here with lote we we do everything as collaborative as possible so our our pitching coaches our minor league pitching coaches our major league pitching coaches and our strength and conditioning staff all work together on everything so we'll run a biomechanic screen on each of our pitchers um four times a year usually um the important one for me coming into this year was just before spring training to understand how their bodies move and then we find mechanical deficiencies as well as just uh kinetic deficiencies and we try to address those things as best as possible so for example, if we find that a guy has, um, you know, tight hips and uh, his pelvic velocity when he's rotating and his delivery is below average, we're going to try to, you know, get really hyper-specific in training and address that. If we find a guy on the pitching end, you know, gets into external rotation late in his delivery, we're going to find ways to try to isolate the shoulder, um, you know, and maybe increase his posterior shoulder strength in, in, in a lot of different ways. And so it's a collaborative effort between the coaching staff, um, the pitching coaching staff and the strength and conditioning staff to try to figure that out. Uh, I don't know how different that is than any other place. You know, I think uh, the more specific we can get, the more individualized the training can be, the better off the players are going to be. So that's kind of been our approach here with Lote. You know, this is right up Tom's alley. Uh, Tom, I know you had a question about that, so I'm going to let you jump in. Uh, Josh, you were talking about driveline, and I, I mentioned the Texas Baseball Ranch to you before. But uh, I, I think a lot of the, the viewers might, might notice that a lot of the Korean pitchers have the pause in their deliveries. How does that, how, how do you work with that? Or how, why is that? I guess the question I want to ask is why is that taught? Why, what is the difference in the teaching of pitching mechanics in Korea uh, as opposed to driveline, for example, where you wouldn't see that taught? Sure. Good question. Um, yeah, so I think that emphasis on skill development that I mentioned before at the youth level is definitely paramount when speaking with the pitching deliveries. Um, understanding how your body works is is crucial for them. So um, a lot of the the pauses in the deliveries at certain points in the deliveries are understanding how their body works and gathering momentum uh, from a very, very balanced point in their delivery. 
for me, I have no problem with that conceptually. I think it's obviously balance is good and understanding where your body is, is good. So for me and for us as a coaching staff, it's really a, a dynamic between balancing what they're comfortable doing in terms of balance uh, in their delivery and also trying to get them to move faster and be athletic. Um, you know, so it really depends on the player in terms of if we're going to just totally cut out like a pause at the top of the delivery, like you mentioned, and really just make them go, or if we're going to say, Hey, you know, we can, we can have that pause, but we're going to need to, you know, focus on certain body movements. A lot of those, a lot of the times I've, I've noticed the guys that have a, a pronounced pause or prolonged pause at that point in their delivery are guys that aren't really getting into the back hips very well. And so we're going to work to really isolate those back hips, really feel them getting into the back hips so they can, you know, drive the momentum of the mound forward and really get going and be athletic and use their strength and their, and their quick twitch movements forward. Um, you know, when I was at the Dodgers, we had uh, uh, some guys that we actually had to slow down, um, which is, which is the opposite of here, like a Walker Bueller, who's really, really quick twitch and, and, and really moves yeah. quickly. And obviously Vanderbilt is an, is a program that, uh, you know, subscribes to, um, the Ron Wolforth and the Randy Sullivan school of thought of, you know, move quickly yeah. down the mound, drive your forces down the mound, be yeah. athletic. And so Walker, obviously being as good an athlete as he is, we actually had to work with him to slow him down a little bit. Um, here, maybe it's the opposite. And I don't think it's wrong in either way. I just think it depends on the player. So good question. Mm-hmm. I mean, the answer probably is it depends on the player. Uh, the reality is, is we do want to strike a balance between understanding how your body works as best as possible while also driving forward with as quick momentum as possible. Okay. Good answer. You know, interesting enough also, you know, when you look at the Asians, we talk about this a lot on the show. Um, You know, they're starting to make some, a few changes I've seen. And, you know, we talk about, you you mentioned earlier, Josh, about block training, basically doing the same thing over and over again. They do that a lot. Um, But they've also started to kind of what we call, I guess, chaos training or differential training. Um, You know, I'm worried that the more they start getting into that, the the better they're going to get. Um, and they're already very good. Um, so we've talked about that on the show many times. Matter of fact, I was on with Ron Wolford, and I told Ron, I said, be careful what we say because, you know, if the Asians – because, you know, the Asians, they find something, they stay with it, they can really get really good at it. They focus. Um, have you seen any anything like that? Um, you know, I know I've seen, like, the, the guys hitting off tees with the, with the weighted bat at the end of the bat, you know, some other things. Is there any other training that you've seen that kind of – you kind of said, hmm, that's interesting. I didn't think they would do that. Yeah. So, I mean, first off, speaking to your first point, our goal is definitely to make the guys unbeatable. So sorry if that's something that's bad yeah. for you guys. Um, <laughs> and they're already yeah, pretty good. Our, uh, yeah. We're, we're trying to make them really good. Um, yeah. Just little things here and there. I think a lot of the, a lot of the processes that we've tried to introduce, we, we spoke about like the drive on equipment. We spoke about using weighted balls and um, underload and overload bat training. I, I think a lot of it's been done to some extent here already, like you mentioned, um, because a lot of it's natural to the body in terms of trying to figure out exactly how we can um, sh- like shock the system, if you will, into moving more efficiently. So there hasn't really been anything specific that I can think of that's drastically different in terms of like a piece of equipment that they're using that's really different than, than using the States. But um, just, the, just the thought processes of of figuring out how the body moves. I mean, that's really, really the key here in development. It's really understanding exactly how, um, exactly how the body moves and exactly how we can understand the efficiency of body movements as best as possible. You know, as I said in my intro, it's amazing what they've accomplished. I mean, everybody think about it. 1982, the pro league started there with six teams. They went down to 10. 
in since 1982, they've won the Olympics and they've been second in the World Baseball Classic. Pretty impressive in a very short period of time. Ian Millman wants to know how long it takes, I'm assuming a player here, to adjust or are you still adjusting to the speed of the game? Maybe even you as a coach. Um, does it take time to adjust the speed of the game? Yeah, it depends on the person. I think um, as a foreign coach coming in, I think there's definitely an adjustment I've, I've had to make to um, understand exactly what we're doing on the field and what we're trying to accomplish. Um, I think the adjustment from a minor league player here in, in Korea to moving to the first team here in Korea is pretty similar to how it would be for a guy getting promoted in the States in terms of the game speeding up and being faster paced than they're used to. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you're coming, if you're a coach at the youth level and you're moving up to the, you know, the college level, or if you're a college coach and moving up to the pro level, the game is going to move faster. Um, but at the same time, the game's not different. You know, um, when I coached in, in the Cal league, for example, I was coaching first base and the game is moving pretty quick, you know, and then you move up to a higher level where here I'm, I'm in the KBO, I'm at the highest level in the country and the game's moving even quicker than that, you know? And so the game doesn't change. It's just a matter of like resetting your, your clock, if you will and understanding how things are processed. Uh, but as a coach, if you come prepared to the game, it doesn't really matter how fast the game's going because you should be prepared for every kind of situation you find in the game. You know, well, I'm gonna have you talk about the respect level they have for the game because we see it all the time. Each row, there's a documentary, you know, he always wonders why are people throwing their bats and helmets? I mean, he carries his in a, in a special case, he you know, specially made. And, and then the other part is also, you know, you see uh, like in Japan, um, players at the high school level, you've got to make the high school team, and there's only one high school team. You know, you, you don't get to play, you know, you have to practice the rest of the time. Well, you know, if you did that in the U.S., everybody would quit. Um, talk about the respect level that they have for the game and what it takes to get to the next level as a player, even from the minors to the major leagues. Sure. So I think in general, in Korea, there's um, a strong emphasis on national pride, and baseball being the most popular sport in the country kind of comes in that territory of national pride. And so playing for the national team, playing for the Korean national team is such a strong emphasis, such an honor for every player here, that that's kind of the goal is to move up and, and represent your country at an international level. And that trickles down very much to the youth levels. Um, and so everything everything is is with the goal in mind of accomplishing that that top task in the country or that top goal of, of representing your country. Uh, you know, from what I've seen at the youth level, or at least at the high school level is what I'm, I'm at least most familiar with. Uh, it's similar here to what you mentioned in Japan to where there's only like 60 or 70 high schools in the entire country here that field baseball teams. And so they recruit kids and they're kind of the, the most talented baseball players in the country at that level. And then they just play tournaments all year against each other and they get scouted and recruited. They get scouted by professional teams. They get recruited by Korean college teams. Obviously on occasion, they get recruited by MLB teams. Uh, or scouted, excuse me. And so it's a really competitive environment and it's really something that kids take a lot of pride in. They put a lot of emphasis on athletic development here. Um, once you determine to be a quality athlete and they continue to move forward in, in, in their careers as, as much as they can. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I was smiling when you said, and Tom can relate to this and other coaches, I was smiling when you said 60 to seven high school programs in the whole country. We have 400 just here in Chicago. Um, yeah. You know, so again, I mean, you know, just the magnitude of this, think of it, of what they've accomplished with, with, again, not a lot of programs. I mean, sure, baseball is a big sport. There's number one sport. Um, what's interesting is in, at the pro level, let's talk about this. What does their batting practice look like? Is it just similar to ours at the same old thing? Or do they do maybe some things differently? And, th and batting practice um, is starting to change in the U.S. also. 
Yeah, so batting practice here, we're, we're trying to do challenge batting practice as much as possible. So um, having your standard batting practice where a coach is standing, you know, 30, 40 feet in front of you, throwing the ball at 55, 60 miles per hour and just letting you launch is something we're not really trying to do um, because that's not what it's like in the game. You know, if you're stepping up in a game and you're seeing a guy throwing in the 90s with a, with a hammer breaking ball, yeah, it's not really preparing you to face that. So we're trying to do – we call it challenge BP. Um, you know, skill acquisition is, is another – is another phrase for kind of, you know, switching things up and doing chaos training. Like you mentioned, um, we're trying to accomplish all those things. So um, obviously we do have our standard T work. We do have our standard, um, you know, uh, short bat drills that we do in a cage and, and, and certain processes that guys take before the game every day to prepare themselves. But in terms of batting practice, we are going to try to do challenge BP as much as possible. So we'll get a, we'll get a hack, we'll get a, like a junior hack attack machine and roll out there and, you know, throw, put a curveball machine in there where they're, they're dropping some pretty good curveballs on these guys. We're going lefty curveball, righty curveball, lefty slider, righty fastball, and we can switch it up and, you know, in, in the middle of BP, just, you know, turning the dial on the, on the machine. So we're really trying to put as many challenges in there as possible on the guys, um, trying to have them face each other live as much as possible. A lot of the times when we're having like rehab guys come off of their, their uh, rehab work as pitchers, we're getting them in, we're getting them live BP situations. We want our, we want our hitters to face pitching. We want our hitters to see live arms, you know, so anything we can do to make it as game-like as possible is something we're going to try to do. And I don't necessarily know if that's something that the Korean players aren't used to. I think it's something that they've been doing um, a lot more often than I've seen at the youth level in, in, in the States because the youth level in the States, a lot of it is, is showcase environment. And a lot of it's just getting out there and showcasing your skills or your tools, excuse me. Um, you know, when I was scouting, we go to a lot of these showcases and batting practice was, just pretty much consisting of guys just trying to launch balls as far as they could. And it was helpful to see how far they could hit it in terms of their tools, but I didn't know if they could hit a breaking ball, you know? Um, so there's, there's pros and cons to both approaches. Um, you know, and I definitely think a balance between the two would be great from, from a scouting perspective. Well, you know, on those, on that basis, you know, they've been doing the batting practice like that for a while. I think that's one of the reasons they they're as good as they are. Because, you know, as we start to do that in the U.S., one of the things we have to be careful in the U.S. is if you're going to institute that type of program where you just can't throw it in without explaining to the players that, hey, we're going to do this type of batting practice, but you're going to fail a lot. Because you know how it yeah. goes. They start failing, and all of a sudden the parents start saying, well, my kids aren't doing well, you know, and, you know, because and, I have friends who have gone through this, and have done, but they've actually, got, you know, stayed with it over a year and, and actually have done it here in the U.S., and they've been successful at it. They've shown everybody getting better as a hitter, but they had to be patient. But in yeah. Korea, yeah. I think it's a little easier to implement because I remember in Japan having a Japanese team, I would tell a player, listen, this could help you, and I'd show them something, and I'd walk away, and they'd be doing it for like 30 minutes. I mean, you have to tell them yeah. to stop doing it. You know, that's your <laughs> yeah. mentality, right? I mean, it's the same thing in Korea, I'm assuming. Similar. Yeah. From what I've seen. So speaking to like the buy-in on, uh, on changing things up in practice, I think from a, from a youth perspective, what I've seen in the States and what I've seen elsewhere, I really think the most important, the only person that matters in terms of getting buy-in is the player himself. Um, you know, obviously the younger the player is, the, the more the parents are going to be involved in their development process. And I understand that, you know, I certainly understand that parents obviously love their kids and they want to see their kids succeed. Um, but if the player buys into what you're saying, then it's a lot easier to kind of sell the parents, if you will, on the process, because the player is going to understand what you're doing. And if the player is happy, the parents are generally going to be happy for that player. Um, in terms of getting them to stop the drill, like you said, 
Um, again, just communication, right? Under helping helping the player understand exactly what we're trying to accomplish and exactly the goal that we're 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 having and why we're doing this drill, I think gives them a better understanding of what we're doing. Um, if I'm saying, you know, hey, let's do this weighted ball throwing program, for example, um, I think the way you communicate it should make it pretty obvious that like you shouldn't make a hundred throws with a nine ounce baseball. Um, and if you explain that properly to a player, I think there's an understanding of what we're trying to accomplish and exactly why. And then the player can become more independent, the better he understands the process and the goals that we're trying to accomplish. A great question from Ryan Mosman. I think I pronounced that right. Mosman. What, what is an area of training or in-game strategy you've had to work the hardest for to get buy-in, to get, you know, get yeah, them to buy-in? Uh, What's the hardest part? Great question. Yeah, it depends on the player. Um, from a pitching standpoint, um, getting them to understand why we want to pitch up in the zone with their fastballs has been a, a challenge. Um, mm. I don't know if that's necessarily something that's cultural here to Korea because we did have similar similar challenges in the States when we were trying to implement the same kind of thing. But with the technologies we have nowadays, we're able to see pretty accurately how pitches are going to play in certain parts of the strike zone. Um, you know, and some of our players here, just like in the States, it's pretty obvious that these guys need to work with their fastballs up in the zone, just based on the characteristics they have. And, you know, I, I'm thinking of a specific pitcher actually on our team that has a very good fastball, um, fastball curveball combination where the vertical break is very, very different. He has this big 12 to six and he has this fastball with some uh, perceived rise to it. And he averages about 90 miles per hour. He's on the first team here. And so he's exclaimed several times, you know, I'm not totally comfortable going up in the zone because that's, I'm going to give up a lot of home runs because I don't have elite fastball velocity. And so it's a matter of figuring out, you know, what numbers to show him and how to explain things to him and getting him confident and comfortable and buying into the approach that we're trying to do. Um, and I, I don't think that's necessarily exclusive to Korea, but that's definitely something we've had to battle with a few guys. Um, you know, that I'm trying to think of others. I mean, pitch grip tweaks, you know, guys have been doing things a certain way for a long time. And we're trying to figure out exactly how to, you know, make pitches tunnel better off of each other and make certain tweak suggestions to their grips. And some guys are resistant to changes because the ball might feel uncomfortable in their hand. It's usually anything that, um, you know, doesn't really garner short-term results, uh, positive short-term results. They get pretty resistant right away just because they don't see that immediate gratification of success. Uh, and then again, it's just a matter of communicating and helping the player understand exactly what the goal is and why we're doing it. Um, you know, another, I, I've been. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 no. I'm I good. Was say, I was going to say that, you know, we've had on the show a great friend of ours with ISG, Perry Husband, you know, and an effective velocity. He was going to join us tonight. But he probably got busy because he was registered. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it's interesting because, you know, obviously that, that, that helps anybody in the world, whether you're a hitter or your pitcher. Um, when it comes to shifts it must be a little easier there because they they can they can spray the ball over the place they're they're not really pull hitters only most of those guys can hit all over can't they uh some yeah some can um probably more here than than an mlb from what i've seen can yeah um we just try to preach like pitch to your strengths and hit to your strengths like i mean the shift kind of it, it's tough to it's tough to make like a barrel adjustment when you're getting a 93 mile an hour fastball running it on your hands um, so like we just say to our pitchers, like, Hey, pitch to your strengths. Um, don't worry about where the, where the hitter, where the fielders are. Theoretically, if we're shifting right there, we're going to shift them according to the pitcher's strengths anyway. Um, and then hitters are going to, you know, hit to their strengths. If they see a ball that, um, they're able to hit with authority in a certain direction and the fielders are geared for them to hurt the, hit the ball in that certain direction, 
that's okay. Like if you still, if you hit the ball hard enough and you hit the ball far enough, they're not going to be able to field it anyway. So that's the approach we're trying to take. You know, if some guys are capable of spraying the ball around to all fields more than others, then great. We're going to continue to have that approach. We're going to continue to spray the ball, but we're not really going to try to use a different approach for anybody, depending on what they're good at. We're just going to try to play to their strengths as much as possible. All right. Explain this to everybody. Um, when you look at the Asians playing, um, and again, I know some people, sometimes I get criticized a little bit because I promote the Asian game a lot. Um, but, you know, one thing you see is they can flat out play catch. I don't care what level. <laughs> give, me, give me 10-year-olds, give me 12-year-olds, 15s, 18s, pros. They can flat out play catch. What, what do you think why, – why do you think they're that good at playing catch? You could take an American team, take them to Asia, let them play catch with the Asian players, and it'll be like almost like night and day. Um, they're not going to be able to do what some of these guys can do. What, what's your take on that? They've been doing it for a long time. There's an emphasis on, on just basic, like, uh, fundamentally sound baseball. You know, the attitude is if you can't play catch, you're going to throw the ball accurately in a game. You know, if you're, if you're a shortstop and you're playing catch to warm up for a game and you're, you're 90 feet away from each other, if I, if I have all the time in the world and I'm in a controlled environment and I can't make an accurate throw here, how am I going to make an accurate throw on the run in a game when there's a batter or there's a runner we're trying to get at first base? Um, that's just kind of the, the philosophy here. So it's, you know, let's get our fundamentals down. Let's understand exactly how our bodies work. Let's, let's, let's perfect the fundamentals of the game so that when the game does speed up, like you mentioned, there's no issue with us speeding up with the game because it's second nature at this point of just moving your muscles according to what you need to do. Hey, I want to give a big shout out to John McLaren joined us, uh, former big league manager, been on a show before an ISG coach, also coached the Chinese national team in the World Baseball Classic um, and the Olympics also. Uh, you know, he, he's very familiar with Chinese baseball and me, Asian baseball, I should say. So, John, you know, chime in on any questions if you have for Josh with Korean baseball. We'd appreciate it anytime if you like. Um, you know, what about technology? We're talking about technology, Josh. Uh, explain some of the technology you use with pitchers. Uh, the Rapsodo, you were talking about the spin rate. What else are you guys using there? Is there anything specific that, um, you know, like the Japanese, they've also developed the ball that they just throw and it measures everything, the actual ball that they're throwing measures all the spin rates and all that. Is there anything they've developed on their own or is it all U.S.-based um, technology? Um, so it's a combination. Uh, we have no preference where the technology comes from. If it's good, we'll buy it. Um, our GM uh, here with, with Lotte is Min, Min Sung who spent about 12 years in the Cubs organization. He was running their Pacific Rim scouting operations. So men's been really great just in terms of having a pretty flexible budget and, and getting a bunch of technologies in place. So like you mentioned, we have the Repsoto units for the pitching. We have an edgertronic cameras all over the place. We have track man units. We have biomechanic testing that we do uh, for both hitting and pitching. Um, blast motion, diamond kinetics, um, modus sleeves, KVS. We have all the gadgets that most of the major league teams are using. Um, in terms of where they come from, like you said, we, we really don't have any preference if the, if the product is good, whether it's Korean or American or Dutch or South African or whatever it might be. We, we don't really care as long as it's a good product. But the, the only goal that we have when we're using technology and we're implementing new products is how can we use this to make the players better? Um, and if the answer is, you know, in a way that will accomplish it, we're going to do it. That's pretty much that simple. I'm curious about the modus sleeve. Are you using that um, in spring training mostly? I know you're using it with your pitchers. Are they using it with, with, with regular position players too or just pitchers? 
Well, both, um, mostly with pitchers, uh, just usually in catch play. Um, we're just trying to ramp up intensity and catch play at certain, at certain times to try to understand the, the forces that are put on the elbow uh, during, during catch play to try to understand uh, injury prevention methods we can put in place. Those biomechanics screenings that we do in the beginning of the year are really helpful to sort of serve as a guideline for the rest of the year and try to figure out exactly how we can take forces or take uh, stress off the elbow and the shoulder. Um, and the motor sleeve kind of helps us see it um, you know, in real time in, in game situations or in catch play situations when it's not as a controlled environment. So it's, it's been a good tool for us so far. We enjoyed the motor sleep so far. All right. Now I'm not sure about this in Korea. Um, and again, I know you don't cover the high school as much in Japan. Um, four years ago, I was in Japan. Uh, I was there every year, but four years ago, I, I visited with the high school association. And one of the major concerns was the Japanese players getting hurt, obviously, because they overpitch. I mean, we, I'm sure everybody's seen the stories on this. So four years later, which was just this about five months ago, six months ago, I went there and I asked the same individuals, okay, what happened? And I already knew the answer. I said, what did you do to change, you know, did you, the, your pitch count systems and all that? Because they didn't have pitch counts for many years. Well, they said that their rule that they changed and they're very proud of it was that they went, they, their allotted pitches per week in high school went to 500 pitches, you know, and I almost fell off my chair, you know, because I'm thinking, you know, I thought they were going to come up with something similar to our program. You know, it takes time to change there. I mean, 500 yeah. pitches a week for a high school kid, you know. Um, yeah. So in, do they have that issue? Even though, like you said, there's only about 70 high schools more controllable there in, uh, in Korea. Do they have those issues there with guys over pitching? Yeah, they do. Um, just because those high school tournaments are so competitive. Um, there's such a, a strong desire to win um, in those high school tournaments. And then at the pro level, because the players have this, uh, this understanding of, of this is how we train. Um, I've seen guys coming in throwing like 70, 80 or pitches in a bullpen session, like in between starts. Um, and a lot of it's just, you know, I'm going to throw 20 consecutive sliders here because I'm not feeling it right. I have to get this feeling perfectly with my pitches. So it's something we're battling. Um, uh, look, the volume of, of your throws is going to depend on the person, obviously, like, like a tool like the Moda Sleeve or like our biomechanics work that we do is going to be really helpful in identifying exactly what the player needs or doesn't need. But a lot of the time it's just challenging the player um, with a pretty simple question. I ask, I ask probably the most common question I ask our players is why are you doing this? Um, and if they don't have a good answer about how it's going to make them better, then they're not going to do it anymore. You know, a lot of it is, we, we found a lot of our minor league pitchers to just throw for the sake of throwing. Why are you doing this is a, is a good question to ask. And if the answer is, you know, because I've always done it this way, that's not a good enough answer. You know, we need to dive in and we need to be critical in our thought. We need to understand exactly what we're doing and why. And so the more we challenge them to think critically about their careers and be independent with their own processes, we've realized the more efficient that their training has gotten because they have a good understanding of what they're trying to accomplish. So instead of throwing those 20 consecutive sliders, we can ask them, what's your goal when you're throwing 20 consecutive sliders? Oh, well, my goal is to, you know, hit the spot glove side and down. Okay. Well, let's make an adjustment this pitch instead of just forcing ourselves to go through the same bad habits over and over again until we figure it out. Let's actually make this adjustment and understand what we're doing maybe with our hand or maybe with our stride foot or, all these variables that are involved. And it's been really helpful to just kind of ask that question and get them to think critically at a high level. Anything different occur at bullpens prior to games? Um, or is it, what's the regular routine there in Korea when a pitcher gets ready for a ball game? Is it different for every player? 
it's different for every player. That's a little more, I would say, common or similar to how it works in the States. Um, on game day, we're just telling them, you know, hey, man, let's get out and compete. You know, I mean, we've been doing all this work in between starts. We've been doing all this work in preseason to, to get you to compete. At this point, we're just getting out there competing. We're just being the best we can be on the mound. We're being monsters on the mound. Um, that's kind of our phrase here. And so um, that's the thing we preach the most on game days. We kind of try to be hands-off as a coaching staff. We're not making any delivery tweaks or mechanical tweaks on game day. We're saying, hey, get out there and compete, you know, figure out how to get outs and dominate the game. So that's pretty similar to how it happens. I would say that day is the most similar to um, how things have happened in the States in my experience. What's their routine there? Do they pitch on every six days or every five days? <clears throat> Yeah, so they're on a six-day rotation here. We do have two – in the K, the first team level, we do have two foreign pitchers um, that have been starters in the major leagues before. Um, we have Dan Straley and Adrian mm -hmm. Sampson. And the two of them are obviously comfortable on a five-day rotation. So we're trying as best as possible to um, help them stay on a five-day rotation. Um, in the KBO, every Monday is an off day, at least for now. Obviously, this season with the virus happening – things might fluctuate a little bit depending on how much we have to squeeze into the schedule. But um, we are trying to keep Dan and Adrian on a five, every five days uh, as best as possible. So, you know, some days we have to do a committee day or some days a guy's going to have to throw on what is short rest for a Korean pitcher. Um, so it's just a matter of keeping them ready and, and understanding what we're doing. But typical for, for Korean baseball is every six days. Yeah. You know, a lot of times the Koreans, I mean, I, I said the Asians in general, you know, they don't like to sit down much. You know, they have to like after they pitch the you're a starter, you pitch them. What do they do the next day, next three, four days? What kind of routine to recover a little quicker? Again, similar or do you have a specific program for all of them? It varies. I mean, we we have like a guideline. Right. So we have a throwing program that's sort of a high level. Um, and then we get specific off of that. So we'll hand them, you know, Hey, this is our suggestion of a throwing program. Um, you know, let's talk about it at an individual level. And you ask them, you know, Hey, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? And again, that question of, uh, that question of why are you doing this is actually a really good question to ask. I think in, in, in always, um, so it depends on the player, you know, you might have a guy that wants to just, you know, like catch play day after, maybe long toss day after that, bullpen on day three, or maybe a bullpen on day two. It really just depends on the player. Um, we're pretty flexible with making adjustments within that throwing plan as long as the players have a valid reason behind their process. Um, and we definitely don't want to make a cookie cutter approach. We're going to individualize everything as best as possible and just try to communicate with the players on, the, on that as best as possible. And don't forget, everybody, if you got a question, please ask it. I know i got a couple on the screen I'm going to ask in a second. got to ask you this just because every, every show we ask the, our guests this. Are they icing in Japan and uh, Korea? Sometimes. Some of the guys, yeah. That's, yeah, some of the guys, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like a comfort level, right? Like if, if, if it's what you want to do, it's what you want to do. Um, I, fortunately here, I'm in a situation where I'm not uh, – overseeing a lot of the, we have a full athletic training department. We have a full strength and conditioning department. So I'm not necessarily part of the very minute day-to-day -day processes on that end of things. Um, so we, some guys do ice, some guys do cupping. Um, some guys do heat pregame. We have a sauna at our major league staff. We have a cryotherapy um, chamber at our, at our major league uh, park. So, um, you know, we have the resources that guys want and need, and it just depends on the, the person. You know, we have guys that are veterans that have been doing this for a while. We have we have a guy who's going to be 40 years old next month on our major league staff. So, um, you know, he kind of has his routines at this point. We have a few guys in their mid-30s and late 30s. So those guys kind of have the routines of what has made them successful so far, and, and we're just trying to, you know, help them be comfortable and help them improve within the confines of what we can do.
you know, I missed a question earlier um, from one of the, our guests. As far as coaching, and I don't know if you're familiar with the younger levels as much, but as far as coaching, coaching development, is there a lot of it there? It's I mean, really, it's about training coaches at a younger level and developing the kids at a younger level? That I don't know, um, specific to Korea, but if there isn't, there should be. I'm a yeah. huge proponent of, I mean, I think in any industry, I think any employee development um, is so crucial. So yeah, I'm a huge proponent of that. If there's not coach development at a youth level in terms of like uh, continuing education and training for coaches, I'm, I'm a huge, huge proponent of that. So I definitely think that should, that should be implemented. Are you familiar? And then Tom, you can go next. I just, are you familiar? Do they, are the parents coaching at the younger levels like we have here, you know, 13 and younger, or is it uh, like in Taiwan where they have the actual coaches in the schools? So it's school-based um, at, at even the youth levels. Yeah, it's, it's very school-based here. Um, I'm not as familiar with how it's lined up at like the elementary school, right. middle school levels, but I do know that it's a school-based program with a, an independent coach that is yeah. training the players. Which you have more, sometimes you have more educated uh, parents or coaches in it. Tom, did you have a question? Yeah, that was my question, uh, Josh. Oh, sorry. But that's okay, Pete. Uh, I, can, I just want to go a little bit further with it. I know you, you probably aren't as familiar with it as you'd like to be, but our mission at ISG is, is educating coaches and, and training coaches to become better. Do you know if they have a licensing program for coaches in Korea? Does, does, do the coaches that, that, that are teachers, do they have to get a license to coach baseball? Do you know I don't know. Um, I, I don't know, but one of our minor league catching coaches was high, was previously a high school coach a few years ago, mm -hmm. and I, I can check with him. I'll be at our minor league complex tomorrow. I can check with him. Um, if there isn't, we, you and I can talk offline and we can, we can definitely work to develop something. Because like I said, I'm a huge proponent of, of continuing education. And whatever you find, we'll also shoot in an email to everybody that's, been, that's on the show so they know that. Awesome. I'll, talk to, I'll talk to our catching coach tomorrow. Yeah. It's good to see Mac the Knife on here too. How are you doing, Mac? Hi, Tom. Hey, Pete. There he is. Josh, nice to meet you. How are you doing? Good, John. Thank you for joining. John, John, I know you got something either to say or to ask. Uh, like, jump in, man. <laughs> Well, first of all, I, I respect Korean ba baseball very much. I um, competed against them in the World Baseball Classic and uh, the Asian Games. I went after them six times. And um, I know Mr. Her very well, an announcer over there. And when they would come to spring training, I'd go out and watch some of the teams in here in Phoenix and Peoria and Tucson. And we actually played them um, pre um, WBC a couple times down in Tucson. So, like I said, I, I really, uh, I, I like, I like what they're doing in Korea. Um, they're very organized. Um, I got to go out and watch them work out and sit, sit down with their coaches. And, uh, you know, we had like a little discussion like we do now. And I think these are great right here to share ideas. Um, you know, all of us, it's one of the beauties of the game is you, you like to talk baseball. And um, uh, I've been following some of the games on uh, ESPN and uh, seeing uh, some of the players we had in Philadelphia playing over there out here and lively. And uh, uh, like I said, I, uh, I think Korea's got a great brand of baseball and, you know, them and Chinese Taipei's come a long way. And of course we know Japan. And, you know, the only thing that I question, uh, you know, when we used to have players in Seattle come over is 
Uh, we, our closer, Sasaki, came over here, and he turned out to be one of the best in the major leagues. Led, I believe he lived in the American League in saves one year. And he, in spring training, was crazy. I mean, he'd throw 300 pitches. I mean, it, I mean he did crazy things. And Lou Pinella just said, leave him alone. Let him do his thing and stuff. And I remember seeing Daisuke in Boston. I went out one day to jog early in Fenway Park. And he was having a throw around at one o'clock and he was pitching that night. And I know, um, I know Darvish used to have a bullpen the day before he started. And so they had to make adjustments coming over here because the, uh, the, 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 you know, the, um, the, the, the heat, uh, like in Arlington for Darvish, uh, you know, that'd be impossible to have a bullpen and pitch the next night. So, um, John, let me ask you as a, as a big league uh, manager and coach, um, seeing these guys, one, what's impressed you about them the most? And two, do we make a mistake changing their routine when they come here to the U.S.? That's a great question. <clears throat> First of all, uh, the work ethic in the Pacific Rim is over the top. Uh, you know, seeing them, seeing them work out and um, – Playing against them and watching their discipline, um, it's uh, I, I marvel about uh, how how they carry on their workouts. I mean, you know, uh, I can remember Ichiro coming over here and we had morning workouts in the first you know couple weeks of spring training. We're finished. We didn't have two a days, and <laughs> after the first day, uh, the translator Ted Hyde came to me said. Uh, John Ichiro wants to know what time the afternoon workout is. I says, we don't have an afternoon workout. And uh, so anyway, the, so the next year, so the next year Ichiro comes to spring training and, and he's getting ready to be the first one out of the clubhouse. I said, well, you got Americanized in a hurry, didn't you? And he just started laughing. But, uh, you know, they got two batting going during batting practice. And um, they have, they have uh, ex they have in their batting practice. I heard you guys talk about bat practice and great for the pitchers and the hitters. I think mean, a lot of the ball into them and they have home run derby. And, you know, when you hit off a live pitcher, especially if the guy's a little competitive, you know, I mean, I remember Lee Smith throwing batting practice for us in the Academy in Europe and guy hit a couple good balls off of him and and you know he throw one in throw one in up and in on him and this is batting practice and he said okay big fella don't get too cocky over there so I, I like I like having pitchers throwing batting practice and the hitters hitting and um, uh, we don't do that anymore I mean when I broke in in 1970 we that was we hit we always did it and you know you get hit hit batsmen you know with some of your you know, your, your wild guys and stuff, you know, but that was, it was part of the game. And, you know, it was really good for development, seeing live pitching and then they throw breaking balls at you. So I, I was, I, I think it's, I think it's a great idea. And we just, we just got away from it in the States here. I, uh, I think our hitters didn't like it. And, you know, that, that's how that went. Sure. Let me, let me jump to Josh real quick. Cause we got a couple questions here and John, I really appreciate that. That was awesome. Um, two, two things. One, Regular season, how many games? Uh, Mar Marco Mendoza asked, how many games? And do you use sabermetrics um, in the Korean baseball? How much is that used? Yeah, um, games are 144. 
um, in the regular season for KBO. So fairly similar to the state. Typically in, in a non, in a situation where there's not a t pandemic, um, every Monday is an off day. We have an all-star break. And then this year there was supposed to be a break for the Olympics built into the schedule. Um, obviously the Olympics were pushed back to next year. So that is no longer existing, but yeah, we play 144 games in the regular season as for sabermetrics. Um, yeah. I mean, we, we try to find any measure that's going to make our players better and help us evaluate them more accurately. Like we look at data the same way we look at the technologies and player development, you know, if we can help the player, we're going to. So um, if we find, if we find stats that are going to help us better accurately measure what our players are doing, then we're going to evaluate them accordingly. So there's no one specific thing that, um, that we look at, but yeah, I mean, we're fully invested in like understanding what like fan graphs, for example, writes about on a daily basis. Um, we think it's important to try to evaluate our players as accurately as possible. Um, that's not necessarily going to change the way, we play the game, but I think it's going to change the way we evaluate the game. And, and if we can get more accurate in what we're doing, um, I think the better off we are. So, yeah, we, we are definitely invested in, in any sort of advanced measures we can find. And you've talked about, you know, you scouted with the Dodgers. Um, when it comes to scouting, scouting uh, U.S. players or scouting Korean players, is there a difference? Um, is, it, is it just pretty much scouting the players? Is, is scouting a player doesn't change? Not really. I mean, you're looking at tools. You know, when I was scouting – um, you know, I'd be at TCU or I'd be at, you know, uh, UCLA or something like that. There's no difference between scouting those guys and scouting the guys here. We're looking for tools. We're looking for guys that can make an impact um, at the highest level of the game. You know, so um, some of the guys I signed to, to, to contracts for the Dodgers um, were guys that we were looking for that had standout tools that could compete at the highest level. And um, that's no different here. You know, maybe the scale changes a little bit, you know, depending on this, the, 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 what the highest level is defined as. Um, but the goal of, of scouting is always the same. It's we're going to try to find tools that are going to make an impact at the highest level of the game. Okay, we are coming down to the last five minutes. So if you have any questions, either ask them um, live or type them in the chat section. Um, I know we answered the question about the games. Um, anything else? I guess I, I want to bounce it off you. Is there anything else about Korean baseball? I know you guys started playing and you have no fans. Um, I guess one question we should ask, what, what's it like for the players? What's their reaction? What, what was it right away? And what are you doing different to kind of make it like where the fans are there? Yeah, that's a good question. So here, especially in the KBO and then Busan, our Lotte Giants, especially, um, we have a pretty rabid fan base. Um, if you were to tune into a KBO game in a normal year, it's a pretty raucous crowd. They're, they're cheering. They have cheer songs for every player. So they're, they're singing during at-bats and there's thousands of fans doing dances and everything. There's a cheer squad with cheerleaders and a cheermaster. It's very much like a college football game. Yeah. Um, and so it's really, it's really fun. And so the player, it's tough for the players. I mean, they, they feed off the crowd and we have guys, like I mentioned, we have guys with, you know, 15 plus years of experience in the KBO where all of a sudden they're playing in these empty stadiums. You can hear the echo of the bat, um, you know, and you can hear the chatter in the infield from a dugout and it's kind of different. Um, we're trying as best as possible. So the cheer squads are still there. Um, so when we're at bat, um, there's still like our cheerleaders uh, cheering and chanting and there's banging on the drums and there's a mic, there's a guy on a microphone singing songs. Um, some of the teams have done something pretty cool where they do Zoom conferences similar to this with fans that tune in and they'll put them on the big screen and they'll uh -huh. be doing the dances along with the players um, to try to get, you know, as much fan engagement as possible during the times like this. So it's Korean definitely different. Out. It's definitely weird, but it's uh, we're trying our best to try to keep the fans engaged and happy and, and trying to, you know, uh, help the players remember, like, you know, hey, when you were in middle school, you didn't have a lot of fans. I played Division three baseball in upstate New York myself for college. I was a left-handed pitcher, and, you know, if we had 50 fans in a game, we were lucky. 
And so uh, we, we play because we love the game, you know, and, and hopefully we can help the players remember that and, and we can keep competing just because we love to play. John, did you have something or time? Yeah, just a quick question about you talked a lot about routines and, and about skill development and practices, but what's a typical uh, between start routine for a pitcher? I know Rio doesn't do bullpens. Yeah. Are there a lot of Korean pitchers like that that they just don't do pens. What is it? What's a typical uh, guy pitches on Monday? What's his routine then the rest of that week? Yeah. So Rio's, I think, kind of an outlier in that one. I haven't seen anybody do that. Um, I mean, I was with the Dodgers and I remember that being kind of an odd thing. And everybody's mm -hmm. like, well, he's good. So let's just leave it. Um, it, <laughs> it really depends. Uh, yeah. It's like, hey, he's a really good changeup. Let's just let him yeah. throw it however he wants. Yeah. Um, I really think it depends on the player. Um, with, a, with a five day rotation, with what we're trying to do with the American guys that are here, we're usually penning on day two. So if a guy starts on a Monday, he'll pen on a Wednesday. Um, so it'd be like a light toss uh, Tuesday, like moderate long toss Wednesday with no pull downs, maybe 25, 30 pitch bullpen. Thursdays would probably be like an extended long toss with a pull down. Friday would be like a light toss day. And in between you're doing two heavy lifts and then like a, like a full body light workout, kind of a three day lifting routine. So that's kind of the, the in between starts process for the American guys with the six day rotation. Mm -hmm. We might stretch it out to where like the pens on the third day and the, the day after pitching might be like a really heavy recovery day in the gym where we're really killing our lower body a little bit, but we're also doing a lot of shoulder recovery work and really backing off the arm intensity um, just to try to let the arm recover an extra day. So it really depends on the pitcher. Some guys prefer to pen early in their routine. Some guys pr prefer to pen later. Typically it's one bullpen. Some guys like to get off the mound twice, um, which is fine. You know, typically we'll do like one, one pen. Like if it's your, if you're an early pen guy, we'll, we'll do like, a, you know, the, the full intensity pen, maybe day two or three. And then maybe on day four um, or day five, we'll do like a touch and feel, you know, off the mound. We're doing like 12 pitches, just kind of like a light feel the ball out. Um, some of our minor league guys will do some weighted ball stuff off a of mound just to increase the proprioception and understand, you know, where the ball is going and stuff. Try to do some challenge, some challenge co command work with their teammates. So, so random, that's kind of the in between start stuff. We try. Yeah. Okay. We Good. try. I mean, look, when you're pitching in the game, it's like you don't know what's going to happen. You know, so you have your routine and you have things you want to work on, but we're not trying to get into patterns in practice to where we can't make adjustments in the game. We're going to try to challenge everybody as best as possible so that the game doesn't become a challenge because we're used to being challenged. We're used to being in that environment, that mindset to where when we're in a game, it doesn't really phase you. That's the goal. Okay. Josh, how, how much sports psychology do y'all use over there? Do y'all have a guy that, that, that talks to the players and um, they can run uh, situations by and problems? Yep. Yeah, we have a team psychologist here um, that's organizational psychologist. And I know that was a heavy emphasis when I was with the Dodgers also. Um, I think mental health in general is something that definitely is like underappreciated in society as a whole. And I think that um, we need to emphasize it a lot more from a psychological perspective um, in baseball. So yeah, any, any sort of mental skills department that we can implement and drive, drive forward um, at a professional baseball level, I think is important. And we do have that here with Lote. We do have a, we do have a, a psychologist on staff. Yeah. Full time. All right, man. I think that's a great way to end it. If there's no more questions, uh, Josh can't thank you enough, man. I know you got a game tonight and get ready for your ball game. Good luck tonight, and thanks for joining us on Baseball Outside the Box with ISG yeah. Baseball. Thank you, Pete. I appreciate everything and, and hope everybody stays safe during everything. All right. We'll stay in touch, and thank you to John McLaren for joining the show. Thanks for Tom O'Connell, president of ISG, for joining. Thank you to our guests with Baseball Outside the Box. Thank you to everybody on Facebook, Twitter, 
and our producer, Brian Crack with the Lineup Media Group. Thank you all. Have a good evening, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you're at. And I am Pete Caliendo, host of Baseball Outside the Box. We'll see you on tomorrow's show, 6 p.m. Evening tomorrow, we'll be sending emails out on it. So everybody relax. Enjoy your time at home. We'll be on the field soon. God bless you all, and sayonara. See you, Tom. See you, Pete. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. Bye. See you, John. Take care. Thank you, guys. I appreciate the invite. Thanks, Josh. Are we off the air, Pete? I'm, I'm taking it off now. Hang on one second. I got a couple of them to do. Um, I don't know how to get off here. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're off. We're good. We're off of Facebook. That's the most important. We're on Zoom, obviously, but off of Facebook and off of Twitter. Yep, we're all done. Okay. Gosh, thank you, man. I appreciate it. That was yeah, great. definitely. Thank you for having me on. No, that was exactly. And then hopefully we'll... Uh, We'll run into each other somewhere. We'll stay in touch too. Yeah, you have my email. Um, anything I can do to help, obviously let me know. Um, you know, happy to help. And then with the with the pandemic and everything, you know, whatever I can do to to help people get some more baseball in their lives. If you if if it's up to you, obviously, but if you want to put it out, the games are obviously on ESPN, one game a day. But you can stream them. Um, there's a streaming service called Twitch. Most of the kids use it for for uh, video Twitch? games. Twitch, yeah, Twitch.tv. Um, you can go on there and you can stream any KBO game you want. So it's Twitch. There's two, there's two resources. You can do Twitch and then you can do Naver, which is kind of like the Korean Google. So it'd be tv.naver.com, N-A-V-E-R. Um, those are all, that website's all in Korean. So you're going to have to. E-R, right? E-R, yeah. E as an Eric. Okay. Um, so you got to navigate that because it's all in Korean. That's kind of annoying for American uh, people, but um, all the games are live streamed on there also. So if you want to watch a KBO game that's not on ESPN, it's going to be the Korean broadcast, but you can at least see multiple baseball games. Yeah, that's all right. We're not seeing much here, so why not, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Cool. The, this thing I, the thing I asked you about certification, I, was, I would think with all, you know, with the high level, with only 60 or 70 schools playing baseball and the high level, they would expect their coaches to be really – really trained well and, and really knowledgeable. And I, I'm thinking they probably do have a certification program, but just be, it'd be kind of neat to find out if they do. If you do, just send a note to Pete. Let him know. That'd be yeah, great. I definitely will. Yeah, I mean, I think that's important. Like I've seen, I grew up in New York in the States and like a lot of the high school coaching that I saw and I still see just isn't very good, to be honest with you. Um, well, that's, a, that's a, why with ISG, we're trying to push certification. I'd like to, I'd like to get totally. it going here in the States. But it's just, yeah. uh, we've tried a number of things over the years with the ABCA and uh, with ISG, and hopefully we'll get somewhere someday, but I'd rather yeah. do it before I die, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll talk to some people. I actually, there's a, there's a kid, um, his name is Hyunil Choi. He's a 19-year-old a right-handed pitcher. He's a prospect okay. in the Dodger system. His dad is pretty tuned into youth baseball um, in Korea. He lives in Seoul. And he's, I don't know if you know Alan Jager. Um, but yeah, I know him and, well. yeah. yeah, so okay. Choi's dad and Alan are pretty close. He's like the um, the guy who sells the J bands in Korea. If you oh, will. yeah. Oh, um, and so he has a website that it promotes youth sports and everything. Yeah. I, I can probably connect you guys, yeah, that'd um, be great. And you can have a conversation with him. He's based out of Seoul, so you guys can have a conversation. But good English, right? No problem. Yeah, good oh, enough. So He's I would e email with him, yeah, he can read yeah. it. Speaking mm -hmm. is just okay. 
Okay. Like um, me in German. That's kind of how mo most people over here like that. They learn it in school, so they know like very structured English. So right. the way we talk, they probably wouldn't do well with, but like they can read it very well. Cool. Yeah. All right. Sounds good, man. Cool. Pete, I'll email you that guy's uh, contact info if you want to pass it along to, to Tom. Absolutely. Good. Fantastic. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, Pete. Yep. Pete, when we're all when everybody else is off, I got a couple of things I want to give to you. So if you can stay okay. on, or should we just do another, just do a FaceTime thing? We can do FaceTime. That'd be fine. All right, I'll try okay. and uh, see everybody. I don't have Apple, so what what do I do? Just do cool, Zoom with you? Or or uh, I, we can go back on Zoom. We could do that. Yeah, okay, I'll go back on Zoom. I'll start it out. Okay. All right. Okay. Take care, guys. Thanks, hey guys, everybody. Thanks. Thanks for joining, everybody. Bye bye. This has been Baseball Outside the Box with Peter Caliendo. Listen online at BaseballOutsideTheBox.com and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and all major podcast outlets. Join the conversation on Facebook and Twitter. Get all of our podcasts now at LineUpMedia.fm.